You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's one thing to make a film, but then when you unleash it, it's a gladiatorial sport in Cannes, and you have to be there hand, hand in hand with the filmmaker to, to not protect them in a molly-coddling sense of the word, but just to make sure that, that it gets, the film gets shepherded out and inside the right conversation. And it was so exciting, Mariella, about, um, you know, to see, you know, Scorsese's film dealing with one Indigenous culture and, of course, Warwick Thornton being an Indigenous filmmaker New Boy has a, a very different perspective on in yet another Indigenous culture. And I know that there's a, a Chilean film from a first-time uh, film director, uh, which was talking about the colonisation and the exploitation of Chileans from that perspective of that Indigenous culture. So it's really, it feels like the film has landed inside a really important and interesting conversation that's being tackled from a lot of different angles, which was I must say it was exhausting, but it was really exciting. And and certainly, I don't know what you felt, but it was, you know, Cannes was back in all of its um, gorgonous glory, you know. So um, all those people who sort of doubted that, uh, you know, cinema was on its last legs, it, you certainly didn't feel that when you were you were there. I felt really excited for audiences. Yeah, and I think that the, the sort of menu of films, as you pointed out, was, you know, it was a relief not to be still trapped in the Marvel days. Um, and I think particularly <laughs> that, that, that notion of exploring indigenous lives, um, you know, and, and it clearly has landed in the right moment. Um, was that what appealed to you, first of all, about uh, the new boy, which is set in the 1940s in Australia? Uh, it's a, passion project really isn't it from from director writer Warwick Thornton because it's based on his own experience um yes I mean you know you get to your point as an as an actor and you know mm. you can make or break a film so to lend <laughs> your break. voice to it no, not at all not true <laughs> let's we'll go back to tar in a minute but not at all but you know how much do you do you think about that as well when you're choosing your part I think it's in the end it's instinctual both as an actor and as a producer through dirty films and and that was the first conversation really um during the pandemic was you know my my partner my partners Andrew Upton and Coco Francini were we were thinking well who do we want to be in dialogue with and of course like everybody who was um away from home even though I live in England now you never really leave Australia let's face it it's a very magnetic country maybe you never do from wherever you live but I, I'd met Warwick 
uh, in Berlin and we had a lot of people in common. A lot of the actors that you see in the, in the film were, were mutual friends. And Warwick and I just started this late night rambling conversation that evolved in him pulling this the script of the new boy, which had been in his proverbial sock drawer for 18 years. And it had been yeah. something that he'd written from based, it's loosely based on his own experience being an Indigenous man who went into uh, a Catholic school and trying to reconcile a sense of his own Indigenous spirituality with relating to the tortured nature of Christ on the cross and how does the positives and the negatives that he drew from that experience. But I think when he wrote it 18 years ago, he wrote it uh, with a lot of anger and he was a young man and since then it's really interesting that he his spin on that same story that was written with rage is fueled with love and optimism that's what was interesting about having the conversation with him is i had read the script that he sent me and thought oh this is an incredibly dark film because mm. obviously being a white australian person i'm filled with shame and regret, you know, and finally getting an Indigenous voice into the Australian constitution. There's a lot going on. But but yet Warwick had a wanted to look at this through a very different prism. So and then as we started talking, he said, what if, you know, we said, what if we flipped it to a nun? And this becomes a story without a father in a patriarchal structure. Um, and so it was a really fascinating journey. I just knew that I wanted to be part of that conversation. Um, and then I ended up becoming, being involved as an actor. But the, but the mm. acting stuff really came second. And I think in a way the part always, whether it's working with Todd uh, Field on Tar, it was to be part of that conversation with Todd and then there was the role. It's, uh, it's rarely the role that draws me first. And I, I was struck by something you mentioned there, there that it was um, originally a, a part written for a priest and and changed mm-hmm. obviously to facilitate you because even though you're a brilliant actor, you decided not to play a priest. And <laughs> but, but but there are similarities there. I know you could do it. Um, there are similarities there with Tar, which you just mentioned. Uh, mm. That that actually I had to think a lot more about my idea of a monster or a predator and and that in many ways it sort of added oxygen to a discussion that otherwise would have been very emphatic he bad you know yes yes and i that- think i think in a way say for for example with new boy is um the new boy is that warwick and i kept saying if you have a priest and a young indigenous boy on the poster you think you already go I know that story. The cinema, I know that story, and it's very hard to sort of disrupt the preconceptions. And with Tar, um, I I mean, I would challenge the the predator monster analysis, but I think that there's many ways to read the movie. It's about, to me, it was about power. In a way, we know what patriarchal power looks like, don't we? We we know um, how that plays out. Whereas it, it, with a woman at the centre, um, unassailably, unquestionably deserving to be at the pinnacle that she's at, we're able to examine the behaviour that results from being exposed to institutional power in a much more nuanced way. It was much more confronting. And what was so exciting as a result was that the film is one thing, but I always love it. And I know this experience um, viscerally from being on stage. When you get spat out into the auditorium and people have moved beyond 
the theatrical experience into the conversation afterwards. It's the conversation afterwards that you you always want to generate. And so that's what we're hoping New Boy can be, the New Boy can be a part of, and that certainly Tar became a part of. It's all about placing these scaffolding um, the films so that they can be part of the conversation because in the end, it's it's for the audience because there's so much, and I hate this term, content around blocking the path of the interesting stories often. You kind of famously go deep, dare I say, I was in a quote from Tropic Thunder because it is obviously the great intellectual film of our times, but, no, you know, you, you tend to go full. <laughs> and and I think Todd Field described, I mean, just never having come across a, an actor who, who worked in the way that you did. He said that you memorised the entire script. You, do you it, I think he might have been t- politely trying to avoid the word obsessive. but but I think that you don't go into a film just to appear in it you do go go Mm. full as it were and and how do actually how difficult does that make you to be with because you must have to divide life uh, private and and work oh I mean that's where having four children has been a godsend it's literally you cannot take your work home there they couldn't be less interested So I'm totally able to switch off. But the thing is, it's a, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound too pretentious, any more pretentious than I naturally am. But, you know, it's it's a vocation for me. I I get to spend the day doing what I love. You know, of course, I'd love to be better at pool and I would love to be, you know, to learn to surf and have a hobby. You know, I, I do get an enormous buzz um, from from talking to Ali Abassi or Lucretia Martel or, you know, Gaspar Noé or Warwick Thornton, whoever it is, or Scorsese. It's, it's, a, it's being in dialogue with these people who are far more interesting than me. And, and suddenly the, you see the world through their eyes. And, I mean, it's such a privilege. I'm, I'm also pretty good at, at, at sitting down and, and falling asleep in front of a, a movie with the kids or gardening. I don't know about you, but that gardening. Oh my God, I'm a terrible gardener. But my God, do I? I want to die having not killed as many things as I'm killing at the moment. Um, but yes, it's it's it's. I'm learning patience slowly. And what about what about parts for women? Because the thing that's very striking about your career is you, you seem to have imagined uh, managed to achieve something that an awful lot of I think actors, female actors, aspire to, but but struggle with, which is to constantly reinvent yourself on screen, to constantly play different and more challenging and perhaps unexpected parts. How hard do you have to work? to make sure that people don't pigeonhole you. And I do think that's um, something that probably affects female actors more than male ones. It wasn't really a plan at the outset. I mean, you know, when I first, an Australian actor coming out of the theatre, and I did start relatively late. I think the first film I made, um, I was 25, which at the point that I entered the industry, in actress years, it was basically like being an 87-year-old. You know, my use-by date loomed large. The, the industry has changed so much for for actresses, of course not enough, and certainly not for actresses of, of, of colour. But I think I, I would take up opportunities or see an opportunity in what was a quote-unquote girlfriend role to try and turn it into something. I've never been the one to sort of option books for me to play the the lead role. I've never wanted to get anywhere in particular. It's still still on the road, so to speak. Uh, 
you, you mentioned, um, you know, the use by date of, of the female actor, which used to be, you know, early 30s. I was particularly struck. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, in Cannes this time by these, you know, and I know they're always there, but these huge billboards of, of brilliant actors like Julia Roberts and Kate Winslet, you know. But the thing that struck me was the sort of airbrushed back to when we probably first watched them in their first movie. And I wonder how how debilitating that is. Do you also feel that pressure? I think if I thought about it too much, if I was on so- social media, yes, I could mm. totally feel that. It's a very human thing to feel and you don't have to be an actor or an actress to 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 feel that but I think I try to look out rather than you know look physically and I mean that this stuff is is changing anyway and I I remember talking to Cindy Sherman about about you know the the way her canvas has changed um and how and it's interesting that by not running away from the fact that her face and her physique has has aged she's embraced digital technology more so she's she's kept evolving as an artist and I think obsessive um introspection and narcissism is an enemy like self-consciousness it's an enemy for any artist or anyone Mm. wanting to create anything I think it's it's about connecting out into the conversations and saying what does this face this body this age offer me I I don't I don't think it's 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 just happening in the in the um with performers, I think it's everyone. No, 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 absolutely. I think, no. And I think the AI conversation is only exacerbating that. Um, and I think it's, I, but I find inter- interestingly that a lot, a, a lot of filmmakers are really focusing on reality. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, the whole thing about the Marvel universe, people being a little bit tired of, of that, of, of being transported so far away from anything outside our experience. I think the rise of the documentary is, is saying that audiences really do want to be told stories that are coming, hidden stories that are coming out of, you know, that we're perhaps not looking at and the patina of things. But I, I, I'm, I'm actually more concerned, to be honest, with the effect of these technologies on, on the creators themselves, like what, what is going to be the impact on for writers for for actors you know are we going to have to copyright our own faces because it's you know the how you know it's been interesting working with an with an artist like you know um andy circus who's involved in authoring 
performances with um, motion capture and using that technology so that it's still human centric. Um, but I don't know what I don't know what the um, onslaught of AI is going to to bring in terms of the human element of of what I love about what I do. It's so interesting you say that because I think Tom Hanks was quoted recently as saying the biggest business in Hollywood at the moment is selling your future. I and mean, he doesn't mean like tomorrow. <laughs> and, no, and, it's and here. Then he, uh, do you do you have you been approached for your future, Kate? For my future. <laughs> You've my been future approached for your future. Yeah. Talk about not wanting to see airbrushing. There's certainly no airbrushing in um, The New Boy. You know, I'm a sunburnt alcoholic nun. <laughs> so it's, um, it's quite, quite a ways away from something like Nightmare Alley. It's the role you've been fighting for all your life. Come all on, Matt. my life. <laughs> um, it is incredibly beautiful, uh, mesmerizingly beautiful, uh, the film. And I know that I think when you were there, uh, because it, it is a rare thing for you to be back in Australia uh, making movies, but when you were there, I think the, the sheer awesome beauty of Tasmania after a rainstorm uh, brought you to tears. Does that suggest a kind of visceral pull on you? You mentioned when we first started talking about this magnetic pull of Australia on Australians or the, your birthplace, wherever you, you come from. But, but is there a suggestion that, you know, Sussex, that the glories of the pastoral countryside in Sussex don't have the same hold on you as the beauty of, of Tasmania post a rainstorm? No, no, I absolutely love the English countryside. There's something when it's, when it's been a very, very wet, as we all know here. Um, but it was when the sun comes out here, it is like nowhere else. And I do find, I must admit, the extremities in Australia are quite terrifying. I mean, it's interesting that Australia has produced so many amazing cinematographers because they learn to work with incredibly harsh light and make monumental and powerful and beautiful um, imagery. But, the, you know, the it, part... Yeah. Yeah, the pastoral here is so, so beautiful. But it was interesting in the pandemic, I think, for me, that I, I did feel a really strong pull to, to go back to Australia. And it was interesting shooting in South Australia. Um, that was the, I, the p- place where I made my very, very first sort of, wouldn't even call it a feature, a featurette. So and just before the pandemic at Dirty Films, we'd made a... Um, uh, a television series about onshore detention of refugees and asylum seekers. And so we were there in South Australia. So to go back to South Australia, it did feel like home. But, you know, my children are in school here and we're very much settled here. And it is interesting to be here with the coronation and being um, having been born in a colony and having just returned to Australia to work with an Indigenous filmmaker and to see how alive, as it should and must be, the the reckoning with many countries' colonial past is really coming to the fore at the moment. How I think much do you think? How much do you think that looking back at, at at past injustice is a helpful tool to move forward? How much do you think that film has the power to change hearts and minds? I guess. Well, I think film, uh, any form of storytelling, allows us to get to the guts of of issues in a, in a in an, a way that's an embrace rather than a slap. I think often when we when we deal with it through political discourse, we can be divided with one another, certainly at the moment. And it's it's all about it's about reconciliation. And in order to do that, voices that have been marginalized for a long time need to be heard. But I think where film can be 
a helpful um, tool through which to have that conversation in an, in an, in an inclusive and non-threatening way is it invites you into what seems to be a fantasy. So you, you know, with with the new boy, it's this as you that the, this young boy is, is unceremoniously and quite violently dumped on the doorstep of a monastery, but he's not a victim. He has immense spiritual power that is as strong and as rich and as deep as as people who have for millennia believed in Christ. And the thing is that he has a curiosity to 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 try and attend to the imagery and the plight of Jesus as this, you know, from his perspective, this wooden cross, this man who's tortured with a crown of thorns, with nails through his hands. He he feels for him. And I think that's what Warwick Thornton, the Indigenous director of New Voice, kept saying to me is what he, what he finds bewildering about a lot of uh, Western religions, about Catholicism, for instance, is it's, it's incurious about Indigenous cultures. And that a lot of a lot of indigenous cultures, and they're all, of course, incredibly different. They're not a monolith. That they're able to say, well, what what does that bring? What can we learn from this uh, from this figure, Christ? Whereas Christ, the people who worship Christ, rarely say that about indigenous cultures. And so, I think that's the interesting perspective of New Boy. Is it's it's full of curiosity, but it's also full of naivete. And I think the, the New Boy might be innocent. Of the dark past of of um, Catholicism, but mm. the in, in a way innocence can be a strength, but naivete is I think is incredibly dangerous because I think there's a I think there's a willful naivete in a lot of people saying well I didn't know about that I didn't know that happened it's like well you now do and so this film might inspire you to go and find out more about it. So we've we've talked about your last two film extravaganzas. You've mentioned wanting to get back to the theatre. I know there's not a single person out there who's watched you in action who wouldn't want to see you treading the boards again. Is it likely to happen? Maybe? Oh, look, I'd, I'd love to be back on stage. You know, I was talking to a friend who's asked me for years to play Hamlet um, and Hamlet as a, you know, a... Uh, um, as a kind of a, a human entity, because there's a lot of questions. Obviously, are you saying genderless? Yes, I think. I mean, I've always looked like at Orlando that, sort of thing, or yes, in a way, it's like when you when you look at the portrait of Dorian Gray, and a friend of ours has done an extraordinary production at the Sydney Theatre Company, Kip Williams, and he, um, you know, he had a woman play that central character what well, was a one woman show actually and um it'll hopefully english audiences will get to see it but it's you know sometimes when you as we were talking about earlier you know having played bob dylan that you you move into the metaphorical and poetic ends of a character often when you you kind of don't allow for simple conversations to be had about gender that 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 certain concerns are human first before they have um, an orientation uh, ascribed to it. So I would love to go back on stage. I think primarily because stage is such a non-literal space at its best um, and it invites audiences to make poetic connections. And um, so hopefully soon, but it's, you know, the the hours are, I I don't want to, don't want to think my garden to die. Um, <laughs> well, you know that's going to happen anyway, frankly. Well, quite. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, don't rub it in. 
look, I, okay, <laughs> I've had no luck with the cauliflower, but that's because of a particular butterfly that likes them. So I'm kind of in, in my own square inch doing my miniature version of rewilding. Well, that's what I tell myself, for, you know, my failure as a gardener. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.